Come on. Welcome to Lifeblood. This is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful George Blount. George, are you ready to do this? Absolutely, am. Excellent. Let's 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 go. Doctor George Blount is the co-founder of Inbalance Financial. He's a financial therapist, a researcher, and an educator. I'm excited to have you on. George, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Yeah, well, thank you for having me, George. I think when I start off by saying I'm a financial therapist, people normally say, well, what is that? So I'll just jump to that right away. I help people with their emotional relationship with money. Um, I came to that uh, career after 20 years in wealth management, being a financial advisor, financial planner, a stockbroker, all of those jobs in the financial services industry we're all very uh, product focused. And right at the end of 2008, after the, the crash then, you started to see that financial education was definitely not on the forefront when it should have been. Um, that led me to an academic journey just to figure out if I could find any, uh, what I would just call uh, nuggets in, in academia for how to help financial education. And to my surprise, there were a ton. To my surprise, there was not a uh, not a lack of information there about how to solve this problem. It just was not being applied. And so from that standpoint, I try to work on minimizing that gap between what we know and what we do. And I'd always had an interest in psychology and at the advent of behavioral sciences, when they started to use a lot more of psychology testing on the financial side, that intrigued me and I took it from there. Uh, financial therapy is a discipline evidence-based. It is primarily used by mental health professionals for couples counseling, um, honestly. It, it's usually when you find the most uh, financial conflict. And so normally what you would find is a marital counselor may come across financial issues and they would refer that client out to a financial planner. Uh, but now financial therapy has evolved to where the mental health professionals and even some of our financial professionals are able to take those questions. So I would be in that category of a financial professional that likes the mental health aspect and kind of understands it from a behavioral standpoint. And there are other financial therapists that are mental health professionals that have taken on a smaller understanding of the financial world. So it's a good discipline to be in. And I think that that tribe is what uh, what we what we like to say is helping out people as best as we can. I love it. And I, I just couldn't agree more. I think it's such a I think it's it's it makes all sense in the world that financial therapy would be a, a thing and it's going to grow and grow and grow and become more of a not to call it a thing, but more and more of it's going to play a much more important role in helping people to become more financially successful. So I think that's cool. Um, how it has has your experience been? Obviously, twenty years in let's just call it traditional wealth management, uh, yep. and recognizing wow, there is a lot of good stuff out here. But how do we actually make it work? How is that? Yeah. How 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 was actually marrying those two been? Yeah, it was. You know, at first it was kind of easy to re uh, easy to reconcile because it's there, right? It's not like there is this complex thing that is unsolvable because it had already been solved. I think the real 
question came for, you know, why aren't these things being implemented at a pace that is, uh, you know, acceptable? Why do we not see more of a pipeline from academia in the financial services that leads to product development? And I think it's it's more of those questions uh, that once you start to answer them, like it's not about the solutions not being available. It's really about the conflict and the barriers to getting it inside the door. Mm-hmm. So that way you have more of an understanding. And and that was really eye-opening um, because we like to, I would imagine, um, see everybody as financially literate, but that's just not the case. And we know that from a macro standpoint because there's not financial education in K through 12, and there's also not financial education required in college, university, unless it's your major. And so that fundamental question is at what point in a person's lifespan are they supposed to get it, right? At what point are they supposed to be, you know, acute enough to to understand what's good for them and, and what is bad for them? And so that fundamentally has to become a central anchor to how you deliver financial products. And when you find that it's not, then I think you have to then move to the people and say, let me catch you up as much as I can and as fast as I can. And if you can't do that in traditional education, one of the things that happens is just this interventive process that says, come in, let's understand how you came to your financial understanding. Where did it evolve from? Is it more behavioral, psychological? Like, do you not understand the products? Is it more so the way things are communicated? Okay, let me clear all that up for you and let me have you start today. And I think that was the biggest difference. And in the business, there had always been this need to tell wealthy people or affluent people, here are the products that you need. And they banter with you back and forth on whether or not you need them. Whereas the kind of uh, the inflection point was realizing that people just needed help and they didn't know how to ask for help. And if you meet them at that place, uh, that's where you can really do some interesting work. Yeah. Amen. I think that that's all really well said right there. It's fascinating. And I think that that folks like you and psychologists and people who study have been trying to close this behavior gap for a really long time, right? It's like, okay. Absolutely. But the reality is that just because there's a lot of information out there about financial literacy or diet and exercise or whatever we we as human beings have a hard time with, just because it exists does not mean that 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 is being absorbed and then applied by 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 people. So figuring out the best way to actually deliver that, if it is through school or community organization, whatever. Um, so how how do we do it, George? <laughs> yeah, I, I think the way we do it is we have to create uh, context, and so financial education isn't about uh, a rigor associated to just understanding the concepts and understanding the principles. What is really missing is intervention, and so it, it is that just-in-time education that is going to be more helpful than what may be, you know, a standard education that doesn't really have application until you're 20, 30, 40. And so that's what we're lacking. And I I think when you look at the ways to make this better, it is simply providing more education at intervention as opposed to letting people just spend money without this education and then uh, doing more on the consumer protection side to make sure that people are uh, feeling that they are safe. People feel safe when their questions are answered. And one of the basic things that we know is that there are just not ways for people to ask basic questions in the financial services world. The financial services world is built 
So that way you have to approach uh, professionals with the question of, I need help with X, right? Or I need help doing Y. And people simply say, I need help. They don't have context. They say, give me help. I need help. I don't know what I'm doing. And so we have to meet them at that place. And that's where it doesn't fit well. If that's the context within uh, the financial education system, then it becomes a requirement of state treasurers to kind of force some marketers to to ensure that comprehension is a big part of what they're doing, um, as opposed to transparency, for example. Like giving someone documentation when they don't know what they're reading is not a benefit. So comprehension over transparency is one thing you can look at. The second one is just making sure that marketing involves more intervention before uh, we, we start to move towards spend your money, do this, this is what you need. Kind of do you know what you need? Are you adequately there? Uh, some of this stuff we know and we just ignore it. And if we just turn that faucet off and let the faucet of good information run through, you would find that it would balance out. And so it doesn't have to be perfect, but I think you just need equity and balance. Okay, so there's a lot of really, really good stuff there, George. Intervention is 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 what's required in getting the education at that point of intervention, and I want to circle back on that. Um, and it makes sense to me hearing you talk about how the financial industry is really built to be able to fill an order or answer a specific question. But if I don't know what order I need filled, or I don't know what question that. I need answered, then that's not going to be helpful at all. And you're going to have what we have. Um, so comprehension over transparency. Um, so w- are, are, are there some scenarios that, 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 that you're working on or looking at for how to then m- make this shift? Yeah. So the one thing I work on is to try to enhance decision making. So if decision making is about confidence and what you're doing and competence or knowledge in terms of how much information you have taken in and are taken into account when you make that decision, I think that's the place where you can start. So a lot of our research focuses on how do we build knowledge? How do we build confidence? And at that point, do we see a behavior change? And so that has been a foundation of my research for a while now, for at least the past three years, as I've seen um, really this inability to move forward. One of the things that is important to keep in mind is that it's okay to not like the situation that you're in, right? If you created that situation, Mm -hmm. but if you're working to improve it and you want to make it better, I think that's where people are seeking out help. And so we, uh, you want to be in a situation where people have the motivation to help themselves and are just unaware of how to do it. So that way, when they are given information, it increases their confidence, right? And so I've actually taken your motivation and I've amplified it because I've given you confidence in what you are trying to achieve and confidence that what you're doing is right. That makes it all the much easier to help out that individual. It, it does not work well if you simply don't have that motivation. You can't, like financial education is hard. So there's teaching it, then there is, well, am what I teaching you gonna fundamentally change your behavior? I think that's where you have to create this fine balance in that there is a certain degree of motivation as seeking any type of intervention, right? And then once you get that intervention, is it driving the behavior? And so focusing my research on ways to increase that competence and confidence or that knowledge and that confidence 
within short term, within long term. So for planning for retirement, as well as buying your car, like, are you sure you want to do this? Do you have all the information that you need? Fine, let's buy that car. About that job, are you sure you've asked all the questions? Are you sure that's going to get you the income that you need? Like, how do we ask for that? Same thing with retirement, right? Do you know what you want to do when you retire? How much do you want to have? What's your mindset got to be? Because I don't need you to actually spend money. You have to pay bills and you have to live. And so somebody can help you accumulate assets, but you have to be the individual that makes the decisions. And do you feel comfortable doing that? I think that's a perspective that is helpful to consumers today as well as in in tomorrow. And it also is goal aligned. So I think it allows us to formulate goals where goals didn't exist at the beginning. That 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 all definitely makes sense, and I appreciate it. Um, I think you articulated that really, really well. Um, and as as you were sharing, I was thinking about uh, auto enrollment with 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 within a four hundred one k plan. I, I was thinking about these these state. Uh, there's different states across the country that are now putting in place automatic plans if you don't have yep. access to, to to a retirement plan. What are your thoughts on, yep. on, on, on that? Yeah, so it's a great idea because it nudges people in. I, I think we always have to get people into the right modes of saving, kind of um, getting to a goal. And if they didn't do that, I think the plans themselves do a great job of doing that where they are probably not – Uh, well-suited is in their branding. Um, uh, Generationally speaking, not everybody believes that they can retire. Mm. And uh, from a generational perspective, not everybody wants retirement to be their primary goal. And so these products can do better by simply renaming themselves more of a goal portfolio as opposed to a retirement plan. Um, Millennials don't want to retire yet and they don't want to think about it. They don't want to start that process. Uh, Gen Z is not going to want to do that as well. Baby boomers are there and kind of want to have that conversation. And Gen Z's, I mean, Generation X, you know, which I'm a part of, we've worked and a lot of us are becoming entrepreneurs. So starting our form of retirement is actually entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And so when you literally put an umbrella around this term and this product and you say this is for everybody, that's not true. And so I think if we were to auto enroll into this product, but not frame it that way, but to say, here are your goals. So you're saving for your first car, right? You're saving for a marriage. You're saving for your your home. And you're also saving for retirement. But these are lifestyle stages. And so we have to explain the, the priorities around saving differently for someone that's early in their career to someone that's been in their career to 10 years, someone that's been in their career to 20 years, as well as someone that's on the cusp of retirement. Like that is something that's important to be in. But once they're in, there's a lot more work to be done. And that's where the uh, that's where the opportunity exists. Yeah, that, that that I think that that makes a lot of sense. I've never thought about uh, I've, I've never thought about uh, how calling a calling a four hundred one k or an IRA a retirement plan would would have the effect of actually turning people off from from utilizing it. But 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 why not? And and why should you just slap on that 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 term, which is I guess pretty clumsy and 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 and, and not appropriate for for a lot of people. 
has a negative connotation as well. And so I think one of the things that we don't think about is that it's a negative connotation because that means you can't work. You have this inability. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also cultural. Some people don't want to imagine the time that they're not working and their families just don't do that type of thing. Um, it also puts an enormous amount of pressure to save at a young age and you realize how daunting that task is. So it can be extremely, um, you know, uh, fear inducing and anxiety inducing. And yet we don't do anything with it because 401k is the name of the tax code that it's based on. And the retirement plan is the product that it replaced. And so while it evolved what we're able to do in terms of saving for long term goals, we could do a lot better with the terminology and we can do a lot better with the branding, considering that the utility is supposed to be broad. Mm hmm. Yeah, interesting. What are your and it just in terms of I I, I I love the idea of thinking about it as 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 a goals account, um, and getting people through the, the the form of this nudge to kind of get them in, um, the time horizon of it and just how long and, and and I don't want to call it restrictive, but just the very nature of it. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so the nature of it being longer term and more restrictive is around the tax ramifications of of the retirement and pulling it out. But the features within the retirement plans actually are perfect for you to save. You have loan provisions, right, which you don't need to take advantage of all the time. But if you do, I'd much rather somebody take a loan from their 401k than finance a car, right, because you're essentially Mm -hmm. doing it yourself. You're financing it with your own savings, and that's a provision that's within the 401k, right? So that makes perfect sense to me because that is saving you or saving some people from what can be high interest rates for a car, which you need to get around. And so can we come up with a better way to use that? Of course, you have the loan provisions. There's also Roth provisions so you can avoid that tax ramification. So that way it's not as restrictive. You also have the ability to look at some of the provisions for home ownership and um, hardship withdrawals. And so it's not as restrictive, but it's very specific in terms of what you need to prove to take the money out. And for that type of approach, I think that's where the savings benefit comes from. We know that people need to save. We also know that emergencies come up and we know that we need to give people uh, better options. And so why not take advantage of everything? that is in there. But I think if you look at the way it is described, it is a retirement, you can't touch it, don't do anything with it. And just, you know, this is the best thing for you. That as a narrative has generational application and it is really becoming a diluted message that has to be improved if we want to keep the utility of retirement plans in place. I love it. I think that's really well said. Beautiful. Well, George, the people are ready for your difference making tip. What do you have for them? Yeah, I think the difference making tip is really to keep emotions in the front of your financial decisions, uh, knowing that nobody has the education that's needed, knowing that we all start this at different places. It may uh, be good to look for somebody like a financial therapist, right, which understands finance, but then understands the problems. There are also financial counselors, a lot of people that um, are in the financial space in terms of psychology and wellness, but not looking to invest to put you into investments in wealth. We understand them, but that's not what we think the uh, the amount of help is. And so if you are able to take your emotions into account, um, resources like uh, like myself and like others that are in our space will will be able to be there for you. And I think that is what 
uh, we'd just like to be considered an alternative. Um, you have all of these choices. Just know that there's one out there that cares about your emotional um, you know, relationship with money, your ability to make effective decisions, as well as um, mitigating some of the risk of bad decision making when you're put into uh, lifestyle changes, like losing your job, um, you know, those things. Getting divorced, you need help trying to figure out how to live differently after that. So there are certain times where intervention is necessary, and I would say you have to take those into account then. Well, I think that that is great stuff. That definitely gets come on. Come on. George, <laughs> th- thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? How can people engage with you? Yep, no problem. So my uh, website is Inbalance. That's just the letter N and then B-A-L-A-N-C-E. Inbalancefinancial.com is the best place to get information about financial therapy. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at GM underscore Blount and always sharing research and happy to answer questions that people have about this discipline and looking forward to uh, just hearing from some of your, your listeners and making sure that we're able to make a difference somehow. Love it. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show George your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to nbalancefinancial.com. That's N-B-A-L-A-N-C-E, financial.com. Check out all the great resources, connect with George, and then find him on Twitter and Instagram as well. Thanks again, George. All right. You have a great day, George. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all (laughs) in this together.